Thanks for joining us on the Southside Church Podcast. We seek to build real followers of Jesus, so we hope that you find this message both encouraging and insightful. Let's jump in. Hey, Southside, great to be with you today. Excited to talk to you about what it means to know God. And uh, we're looking at encounters that people had in the Gospels with the life of Jesus, with the person of Jesus. And last week, we talked about Jesus and Nicodemus in John chapter 3 and what true authentic faith looks like. I'll tell you what it looks like. It looks like this. It's when you realize that, that we have a need, everybody has a need, and we encounter His grace, and then it leads us to our choice. So our need, His grace, your choice, you decide. And Nicodemus did that. He made a decision to make Jesus Christ his Savior, his Lord. He put his faith in him. But in the beginning, Nicodemus simply, that was my southern dialect, Nicodemus, Nicodemus just did not get it. I don't get it, is what he said. And Jesus said, you're a teacher of the people of Israel, and you don't understand this? And Jesus broke it down for him and told him, you know what? God loves the world so much that he gave you his only son that if you would believe in him, you wouldn't perish, but have everlasting life. What an amazing, amazing statement. Here's what it tells me. Everybody's forgiven. It's just some people accept it and other people reject it. Today, the same question. Do you know what it means to truly know God? The same question every week. Why? Because I want you to get it. I don't want you to question it. I don't want you to knock it around your mind and live life unsure of it. I want you to know. I don't want you just to be like Nicodemus and say, I don't get it. I want you to get it. But I also want you to know, like today, I want you to know that you need it. Because that's the story, that's the, the, the encounters that we see today. People know in these stories that they need it. And they're in situations where they have to have it. And so to know, what does it mean to truly know God? Well, it means this, to know God is to know his power. To know God is to know his power. His power over the storms in your life, the strongholds in our life, the sicknesses that we face and the sorrow that we encounter on a, on sometimes a daily basis. And so this is what we see in the gospel of Mark as we switch from John to Mark. John talks about the miracles of Jesus around the teaching of Jesus. And he does that to show us this. He said, these things have I written unto you so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing in him, you might have life in his name. That's why I wrote these things to you. Mark, Mark is writing about the authority of Jesus. And you can't understand authority without living it and seeing it. Authority is, is visible. And it's, and so you don't get a lot of teaching in the gospel of Mark. What you get are a lot of stories, a lot of action. And so you could really depict Jesus as like this action hero in this book. And that's what we see because in this, in the gospel of Mark, we see Jesus calls for decisive action and we cannot remain neutral. That's one thing that you and I can't do when it comes to eternity. We cannot remain neutral on eternity. We have to make a decision. And it called, Jesus calls for decisive action. And so today, everybody has a story. You have a story. I have a story. We all have a story. Everybody on the planet has a story. But God wants you to have a testimony. A testimony is a public 
outcry is a public proclamation of an inward transformation of something that has happened to you so profound and so divine, so holy that you'll never be the same again. And so God wants you to have a testimony. He wants you to be able to stand up and say with clarity and with authority, I have a testimony. And so today we see four things. We see what God can do. Because God, only God can respond and work in situations like this. Only God can turn a test into a testimony. That's the first thing we see. Only God can turn a test into a testimony. Mark chapter 4 is where it begins. And Jesus and his disciples were in a place called Capernaum. And actually, Capernaum is a word that means comfortable. And, and that is kind of where Jesus had his base of operation. And that's where he is, he is working from. And right now, Jesus is, he's found in, in Peter's boat and he's teaching the people. He had to get in the boat because the people had pressed on him so much and he's teaching them from there. And so when he's finished teaching, he tells the disciples, Hey, let's cross over to the other side. Remember that. Let's cross over to the other side. And I love it in the Gospels. It says this in Mark chapter 4. It says, they decided to go along with him since he was already in their boat. I mean, he's already in the boat. What's he going to do? Say, no, I don't want to go to the other side. Get out. You know, he didn't. He said, come on, let's go across to the other side. And while they were journeying across to the other side, and there were other boats with them, a fierce storm blew up out of nowhere. The Sea of Galilee is known for that, is what they tell me. I've never been it, never been to it, never experienced it. But that sudden fierce storms come up out of nowhere. And that's what happened here. And so the, the disciples find themselves in this place and they are toiling with this ship and struggling with this storm. But where's Jesus? Jesus was in the stern of the boat, sleeping on the cushion. And so they woke him up and they said to him, teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? Now, that's the way we read the Bible. I don't think that's the way it went down. I think they go to him and they wake him up and they're like, teacher, we gonna die, you know? And they wake him up and he gets, he's, he's, like, he's like a parent. He's like a parent. He gets up. Uh, have you ever been, if you're a mom and dad, have you ever been awakened by your child and it's just something that's really not something at all and you're frustrated? That's kind of the way this happened, I believe. Jesus got up, rebuked the wind, said to the sea, shh, and he went and laid back down. You know, I was going to picture Jesus to get up. Everybody's panicking, walking up. <sighs> it just stops. Everything just stopped. He rebuked. That's key. He rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, silence, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And then he looked at them and he said, why are you fearful? Why are you fearful? Do you still have no faith? You know, I think about that right there and I look at the questions when Jesus said to him, why are you afraid? Why are you fearful? Well, I mean, I look at that and think, are you kidding? These are trained professional fishermen, and they're terrified the storm was so bad they thought they were going to die. And they wake Jesus up, not, not necessarily, I don't think they woke him up to save them. I think he, they woke him up to help them. 
You know, isn't that just like us? We want help from God, but God may want us to ask him for more. Sometimes we pray prayers like, God, help me, help me, help me. Bless me, bless me, bless me. Protect me, protect me, protect me. When God's wanting more for us and from us, God's wanting decisive actions. God's wanting us to move forward. God's wanting us to take steps of faith that move us closer to him and and steps of faith that help us see more of his power. I think they got him up just to get him to help them keep the boat afloat. I mean, don't rock the boat. Don't tip the boat over, you know? And, And here he is. He says, after he stopped it, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? (laughs) At which point, it says they were terrified. They were terrified first of the storm. Now, they're terrified of the one that's in the boat. You would be too. See, every person's first encounter with God, and this was not their first encounter with it. Well, it was close. It wasn't their first one, though, but everybody's first encounters with God are, are fearful, you know why? We don't understand. We don't know. We don't, we're unsure of what's going to happen. And so we come to him a lot of times in fear. And you're going to see a common theme occurred like that all throughout these stories. They're all coming to him in fear. And they were terrified and they asked one another, who is this? Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? See, when you look at this story and we see that only God can do some of these things, only God can turn a test into a testimony. Why do you think the storm was a test? Because of what's about to come. What's coming next kind of leads me to think that the storm was a test. Jesus rebuked the wind and the waves. The only people that, the only times I see Jesus rebuking anything in Scripture is anything to do with, the de- with demons or the devil. And so here, Jesus rebukes a storm. And so maybe the storm was brought on by the devil to keep them from moving forward. Why? Because of what is about to come. And so Jesus can take a test. Obviously, this was a test for the disciples because he's like, hey, are you still fearful? I mean, why were you afraid? Why didn't you, do you still have no faith? And God can take tests and turn them into testimony. You have a testimony when you encounter the power of God in your life. And here's the truth. The size of our storm is a lot of time based on the size of our assignment. The size of the storm that we're facing many times is based on the size of the assignment that God has for us. It doesn't make the storm any easier. It doesn't make it any any better or any less fearful to go through it. But, but, but listen to the voice or the voices of the people from the other side. God can turn, God can take a test and turn it into a testimony. God can also take victims and turn them into victory. Look at what happens next. They come to the other side of the sea, to the region of the Gerasenes. And as soon as Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an unclean spirit came out of the tombs and met him. The word unclean there means demonically possessed. Demonically possessed, not just oppressed, but possessed. Okay, he's not oppressed by demonic forces. He is possessed by them. In other words, they are living inside of him. This is a wicked and and just terrible encounter and, and, and experience that this man is going through. And so this man lived in the tombs. No one was able to restrain him anymore, even with chains. 
because he often had been bound with shackles and chains, but had snapped them off and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. The Bible says later on that he was under, I mean, he, was, he didn't have any clothes on. So not only was he, not only was he demon possessed, he was naked. So I call him a nude dude in a rude mood. And that's where he is. And so this is the kind of God, people couldn't control him. And so they put him out in the, in the tombs, in the cemetery, and that's where he lived. They tried to bind him with shackles, but he would snap those chains and, and, and he, he, he was not able to be subdued. Listen to the sadness of this. And always, night and day, he was crying out among the tombs and in the mountains, and he was cutting himself with stones. I wonder if you could hear his cries as they crossed the Sea of Galilee in the dark, before the storm arose. The Bible says in another encounter that the disciples went out into the sea and Jesus went up on a mountaintop to pray for them. And when a storm came up and they thought they were going to die, Jesus saw them toiling against the waves and he came to them walking on the sea. I wonder how many nights Jesus was praying on the seashore or on the mountains next to the, to the Sea of Galilee there in Capernaum and he could hear that man crying out from the other side among the tombs and in the mountains. Jesus said he was worth crossing over to the other side for because Jesus can turn victims into victory. And here it says, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and knelt before him. The disciples did that. The disciples were cowering in fear, wondering. They were terrified. Who is this that the winds and the waves obey him? And now here's this demon-possessed man running to Jesus, controlled by demonic powers and kneeling before him. And he cried out with a loud voice, what do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you before God, do not torment me. I mean, these demons obviously know who he is. They understand his power. They know that he has authority over them. They know that he fought through the storm to get here, that this man must be important. This man must have an assignment. See, a lot of times the storms and the difficulties that we're going through, the trials and tribulations, they do lead us to cower down. They lead us to go somewhere else. They lead us to quit and give up. But maybe they should lead us to press in and to trust God more because of the size of the assignment. And Jesus had told these demons. He had spoken to them even before they got to him, come out of this man, you unclean spirit. And so this is what they come to ask of him. They knew that they were going to be cast out. They knew that they weren't going to be able to stay. Why? Because the creator had given them a command and he had authority. And these must, these beings and demons must answer to the one with authority. How much different are they than us? Jesus gives us authority and commands from his word, but we ignore it. We don't go to it. We run away from it. But the demonic beings in the spiritual realm, they come running and they need to kneel down. They know it's not an option. And so here they ask Jesus, send us into the pigs. This is where the story gets freaky. I mean, man, you can read the Bible and get some crazy stuff out of this. 
It's a herd of pigs. It's a lot of pigs. It's a large amount of pigs that make people very wealthy. And the demons said, send us into the pigs because they knew that the people in the region would value the pigs more than the person. That's what they did. He sent them into the pigs. They inhabited the pigs. They ran off a cliff, and you just can't make this stuff up. It's crazy. And the pig herders, that's funny, ran back into town and told everybody what they had just seen. Imagine their story. Who would believe this story? The new dude in the rude mood, the guy's been cutting himself, screaming at night, everybody hears him, he snaps chains. I mean, the stories are legendary. Something happened. And whatever was inside of him went out of him and into them, and now they go. And so the people come out to see the sight. And they see that God can take victims and give them victory. They came to Jesus and they saw the man who had been demon-possessed sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. That is a common occurrence in these stories. They were all afraid. They didn't understand this. They've seen the guy, the new dude in the rude mood. Now he's sane, he's clean, he's dressed, he's sitting, he's listening. See, see what, do, what do we see in this story? We see this. No one attacks what isn't valuable. The devil isn't going to attack what's not valuable. He's not going to come and take what's not a threat. And a lot of times we want to look, man, why is this happening to me? Why is this coming against me? It may be because of the assignment that God has for your life. Knowing God is knowing God's power. Knowing God is knowing that he can take a, a test and turn it into a testimony. He can take a victim and turn them into victory. God can take a mess and make it into a message. We see this as they go back across. Why did they go back across? Because the people saw this. They didn't understand it. They wanted no part of it, and they asked Jesus to leave. And that's exactly what he did. The funny part of the story is, well, we'll get to that in a minute. I'll come back to the part of him at the end. The guy who was transformed, man, what did he do? That fool got in the boat. He was going too, but something else happened. When Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, back to Capernaum, so we went from comfortable to demonic living or challenging times. Now he's going back to this comfortable region. When he comes back by boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the sea. And it says, one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he did it too. He fell at his feet. Now, this is interesting because the synagogue leaders and the religious leaders of the day had it out for Jesus. And so this would have cost Jairus a lot for him to be seen doing this, but something has happened to cause Jairus to come because of the situation that's taking place. And he came and knelt down and he kept begging Jesus, my little daughter is at death's door. Come and lay your hands on her so she can get well and live. His reputation 
precedes himself. Jairus has heard. He's heard it because it's, it's, it's making its way among the religious circles. The religious leaders are now starting to show up at his teaching places. The religious leaders are now starting to pay attention and wondering why he's, he's healing on the Sabbath, why he's doing this, why he's saying that. And now Jairus is here, and Jairus's attitude has changed. You know why? Because now he's got an issue. Everybody's got issues. You got issues. I got issues. We all got issues. The disciples had issues because they had a storm. The new dude in a rude mood had issues because he was naked and demon-possessed and not even in his right mind. Jairus has got issues because his little girl is on death's door. See, desperate times call for desperate measures. And so Jesus goes with him. Jesus went with him, and a large crowd was following and pressing against him. That had to be frustrating enough for Jairus because he's got somewhere to go. It's urgent. And this crowd of people is slowing them down. There's a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years. Another version of the Bible says she has an issue of blood, right? She's got issues. Everybody got issues for 12 years. Interesting, Jesus is on his way to try to save a 12-year-old girl. It's got her whole life ahead of her. Here's a lady that's later on in the stages of her life that's been dealing with this for 12 years, and she's endured much under many doctors. She had spent everything she had and was not helped at all. So you've got Jairus who is wealthy and influential. You've got this lady that is broke and an outcast because because she had an issue of blood, and according to the Old Testament law, she was ceremonially unclean. In other words, she could not go into a religious meeting. And because of that, she was an outcast in religious settings. And because of the law, she was also, Sarah, she was also unclean in, in, in social settings. So she couldn't go into social settings either. She was an outcast there. Because if she just rubbed up against somebody, touched somebody, then her touch to them would make them unclean. And so people push these folks back. And she had tried everything. She had tried everything you could possibly imagine, but the situation just became worse. And then she heard about Jesus. She heard the stories about Jesus. She heard about what was going on. And so she, she, she mustered up all the strength and the courage and energy she could find, and she got to it. I mean, what are the odds of her getting there and getting to Jesus in this way? She came behind him. She didn't come up in front of him. She's ceremonially unclean. And she said, if I could just touch his robe. See, superstition was big in those days, just like it is today. She believed, this is what she said, if I can just touch his robe, I'll be made well. Superstition alone 
She said, if I can just grab his robe, maybe I'll be clean. When she touched it, when she touched his robe, immediately, immediately her flow of blood ceased. And she sensed in her body that she was cured of her affliction. Wow. But it gets better. At once, Jesus realized in himself that power had gone out from him. You know why power came out from him? You know why that happened? Because of her faith to get to him. There were a whole lot of people touching Jesus that day. The crowds pressed upon him. Why weren't everyone healed? Why wasn't everyone healed? Because they didn't touch him with faith. She was desperate. And so Jesus stopped. He turned around in the crowd and he said, who touched me? (laughs) The disciples looked at him and said, are you kidding? Are you kidding? Do you see the crowds and you say, who touched me? Everybody touching you, Jesus. What do you want to know? We're trying to be like the secret service here and keep people off and everybody touching you. And you want to know who touched me? She was looking around, or he was looking around to see who had done this. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came with fear and trembling, and she fell down before him. And she told him the whole truth. Why not just let her slip off into the distance? Why not just let her go away quietly? Why bring her forward? See, to know God is to know his power. (laughs) And only God can turn a test into a testimony. Only God can turn a victim into a victory. Only God can take a mess and give it a message. And that's exactly what we see in this story. God takes a mess and he gives it a message You see, he brings her forward and she tells him the whole truth. And Jesus looks at her and he says, daughter. See, that's it's not just any kind of faith, it's saving faith. He says to her, daughter, (laughs) your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be free from your affliction. Why tell her this? Why not just let her go off into obscurity? Why should we come to God and be public in our identification with him? Because Jesus is not just letting her know she's well. Jesus is letting everybody know she's well. Because this lady had been an outcast in church and in social settings for 12 years of her life. And Jesus is shouting in this moment and telling everybody that's listening, she is different. She is whole. She is well. She is clean. She's got a message. And that's what he does. See, only God can do these things. And if you want things to change, you've got to be willing to do something. Only God can take tests and turn them into testimonies. Only God can take victims and give them victory. Only God can take a mess and give it a message. And only God can turn a trial into a triumph. See, we know that Jesus is about, Jesus is going with Jairus. That's an urgent matter. But Jesus knows how to distinguish between the urgent and the important. He stopped with that lady because it was important. 
And now he's back into this situation. And it said this. While he was still speaking, people came from the synagogue leader's house and said, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Talk about sorrow. He had him. He had Jesus in that moment. He was right there with him in that moment. And now, time is up and she's gone. Hang on. But when Jesus overheard what was said, he told the synagogue leader, don't be afraid, only believe. This phrase in the Greek, it means this, keep on believing. Don't be afraid, keep on believing. Don't be afraid, keep on believing. It says they came to the leader's house and they saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. See, they would have professional mourners that would come and gather inside of that house and they would lead the mourning and, and, and crying out in the wailing. They were professional. They were trained and paid professionals to come in and do this kind of thing. We got a lot of those kind of people in and around our lives. We've got professional mourners, people that want to hold us back, people that want to keep us in negativity, people that want to cry and moan and groan around us rather than us allowing God to go to work and move in our life and to take us to where he wants us to be. And so this is what they're doing. Jesus goes in and he says to him, why are you making a commotion? We got all kinds of people in and around our lives. You know them by name. You can name those people in your life that want to stir up a commotion. Jesus wants to bring calm. He wants to bring celebration. He wants to do other things in your life. But he says, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead. The child's asleep. And what do they do? They started laughing at him, which shows you their mourning is not real. They turn it into laughter, and they're laughing at him. And Jesus told them all to go outside. He took the child's father, mother, and three of his disciples with him, and they entered the place where she was. Jesus took the child by the hand. He said to her, Talitha kum, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately she got up and began to walk at 12 years old, and they were utterly astonished. And Jesus gave them strict orders that no one should know about this and said that she should be given something to eat. See, sometimes you and I are in these situations so that you can show others that they can make it too. Sometimes we find ourselves in these places. Why? So that we can have a testimony and something to share. We get into these places and we wonder, God, why do I go through a storm? I thought, I thought the storm meant that I was doing something wrong. God, I thought the shackles meant that I had, I was being punished for something. God, I thought the sickness meant that it was over for me. I thought the sorrow meant that you had left me and forgotten about me. All we're trying to see in this is that God has given you a message. There's life on the other side. Egypt, coming out of Egypt, Israel thought when they hit the Red Sea that it was over, but God parted an ocean. God thought, God led, led Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into a fir, fir, blazing ferny furnace or whatever, fiery furnace, and he met them in it. He had Daniel in a lion's den, and he met them there. The disciples on a storm, the man that is, that is nude and in a rude mood, the lady that was sick, the girl that was dead, and Jesus showed up in them all. 
go back to the man in the region of the Gerasenes. He got in the boat. He said, where you go, I go. Your people, my people. Jesus said, you can't go. You can't go where I'm going. I need you to stay. I need you to stay, and I need you to go tell everyone in this city what I've done for you. See, God doesn't just want you to have a story. He wants you to have a testimony. He can turn tests into testimonies. He can turn victims into victors. He can take a mess and give it a message. He can turn trials and give you triumph. See, there's life on the other side. You just have to decide whether or not you're going to cross over. So today, is that what you're going to do? You're going to stay on this side of defeat? Or do you want to cross over into victory? And Jesus is the one who's waiting. He's standing to meet you in the morning. And so today, you got issues. I got issues. We all got issues. What's yours? Where do you need Jesus? Because you can find yourself in the storm. Are you in a storm? Do you have strongholds? Do you have sickness, sorrow? These people approach Jesus with faith, with desperation, with fear, wanting something to change. But all of them found God's power in their situation. And they made it to the other side. We want to help you. Whatever your situation is today, you can let us know. You can let us know at the end of this message. You can follow the prompts. You can say, hey, I need prayer. I need this. I'm asking for this. But today, let's take a step. Let's trust God. Let's come to him in desperation. Pray this with me today. This is just a a prayer of, it's not a prayer. This is just a prayer to say, God, I'm here. Help me. Pray this with me. Say, God, I need you. I am right here. I'm right here right now. God, I need you. Lord, meet me here in this place, in this storm, in this stronghold, this sickness and sorrow. Lead me to the other side so that I can testify about the power of God and your amazing grace. Amen. I hope you have a great week. If you made that decision today to say, yes, I do want to choose Jesus. I do want to acknowledge him as my personal Lord and Savior. Congratulations. We could not be more excited for you. And we want to help you in that process and answer any questions that you might have and provide you resources. To do that, simply text Jesus, that's J-E-S-U-S, to 706-449-0870. And one of our pastors on staff will be in touch with you because we want to help you as you walk out your faith. If you thought, you know what, I would like to contribute to all that God is doing in and through Southside. I would like to partner with Him. You can do that in three simple ways. First, you can text GIVE, G-I-V-E, to 706-449-0870. Secondly, you can do it on the Southside app in the GIVE tab. Lastly, Southside.online. You can do it through the GIVE section on our website. Thank you so much for being here with us today, and we hope you have a great rest of your week.